David Banner wanted to end the running. He wanted to live in peace. You have to stop someplace. But once again, they made him angry. Maybe angry enough to kill. Maybe I belong in a cage. Now, imprisoned, he will struggle to hide the fury within him. But he will not succeed. I can't stand trial. You have no choice. Because now David Banner faces his greatest trial. The trial of the Incredible Hulk. Shama people, and welcome to our 171st episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast. We discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you on this Sunday? Uh, you know, I, I can't complain. The weather is reasonable. It's going to drop to like 19 degrees tonight, but I'm in my house, so I can't complain. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Definitely keeping warm. The, the temperatures have definitely also dropped over here in Italy, but uh, luckily no snow or ice or anything like that. So uh, we're trying to keep warm as best we can. But uh, and today we are not discussing the weather. We are discussing the trial of the Incredible Hulk from 1989. This was directed by Bill Bixby. The film was written by Gerald DiBiego, while the score was by Lance Rubin and Joe Harnell. As, and of course, this was could this come out for TV? So of course, there wasn't any uh, takings or turns because this didn't come out in the theater, movie theaters. So it was broadcast on TV. And uh, speaking of which, uh, Keith, what are your general impressions on this one? And did you actually get to watch it the first time it aired back in '89? Yes, yes, I did. I remember when I was a young kid watching this on TV with my family. We, you know, it was that Sunday night you know, watching whatever the big thing was because the Incredible Hulk was, you know, very big on TV back then. So yeah, I've watched it. I've seen all the Hulk movies from the TV show era. It just, it brings up so much nostalgia. And now I watch it again as an adult and I just, I cringe at all of it. <laughs> I agree. I mean, as I mentioned, when we actually re reviewed on this podcast, the the return of the Incredible Hulk, or, uh, I actually was a big, big fan of this TV show as a kid growing up. I mean, it was also big over here, over here in Italy and uh, was a TV show that I absolutely loved in all, you know, in every single way. But I suppose as one gets older, one starts seeing the cracks here and there and and, and you're like, OK, yeah, this is probably is not as great as I remember it. However, I will say it's cheesy. But it's good cheese in the sense that it's it is bad. It is a bit of a stinker, but man, I couldn't get enough of this. I, I'd forgotten how much I'd enjoyed it way back when sit, sitting down and rewatching it so many years later. I really enjoyed this one. I mean, as I said, as ridiculous as it is, maybe it's also the childhood nostalgia kind of playing in my mind and making me feel that kind of warm and fuzzy feeling when I first you know was tuning into the Incredible Hulk TV show. I really, I really like this. I mean, there are some inaccuracies. There are some problems writing wise and so on and so forth. But for the era and for when it came out, it, it still was a favorite with me and still sits very well with me today. So uh, I like this one. I like this one. It's, it's one of those movies that is, is so bad. It's good. I would say. Yeah, oh, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. This is this is the way I felt. So I'm glad you feel the same way. So I guess let's start off by looking at our main man. We have, of course, Bill Bixby reprising his role as David Banner and Lou Ferrigno, of course, as the green man himself, the Hulk. So, uh, Keith, what did you make of our hero and, you know, what uh, David got to do in this uh, in this particular episode or, or movie? You know, 
again, you and I are kind of on the same page. We, we remember when we were little kids, it was this, this guy, the shadowy figure who was running from everybody. But to watch it again now as an adult, it's one of those, you know, like you said, you notice the cracks more. He's very antisocial. And if he was really concerned about, you know, stress and anxiety and blah, 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 blah. I don't know why he went to the biggest city in the area. He's like, I'm going to go to the city. And literally the first person he talks to is like, you shouldn't do that. That's a bad idea. Literally like, don't go to the city. If you're, and again, anybody who's been to a city knows people suck. Cities suck. It's just, you're better off living in the mountains somewhere. Nope, not David. Let's go. And, you know, adventure into a big city where who the hell knows what happens and what he's there 20 minutes and gets wrangled into some crazy shit. So, you know, Again, when we were kids, it was like, he's just a magnet for bad luck. Now as an adult, you're like, you're an idiot. So he's a genius, but he doesn't have common sense. I will actually also add to that. After all these constant moves, etc., why doesn't he change his first name as well? I mean, <laughs> he always yeah. changes his last name. I mean, I guess, okay, David is a very common name. I get it. But at the same time, it's like, oh, I'm David Ross, or I'm David Finkelstein, or I'm David this. I'm like, dude, change your first name as well. That will give you complete anonymity if you really are looking for that. But no, he always keeps the name David, and I'm like, whatever. I mean, I know it's a silly, silly gripe to make, but for some reason this time watching it, I'm like, David, again, you ch- you changed your last name for the millionth time. You could change your first name too. But other than that, I very much agree. He almost seems like he's looking for trouble because I'm at this point, I'm just trying to wonder what his aim is at this point, because I suppose this was after the TV show ended. And so they made these TV movies. So, I mean, is David's end game, I suppose, or objective just to I guess, live life out as a hermit and not be bothered by people and just sort of live in, in I guess, uh, solitude. I guess that's his point. Or, is, or do we get the, the idea that he's still trying to solve and reverse his condition? Did you get that at all? It's kind of, that's what I thought, you know, when you get, when he goes in, he's like, I'm going to the city. So you figure he's going to the city to research something or talk to somebody or, or trying to, like you said, solve his problem. Nope. He was just going to the city because he wanted to go to the city. You know, what? the other thing I found funny was he gets arrested and they fingerprint him. His fu- exactly. fingerprints are not on file. I don't know how that is possible considering he's wanted in like literally every state for something. Um, you know, when the series was on the air, he was on the run because of the experiment and all the damage and who the heck knows how many people he had killed. So his fingerprints are on file. Should be everywhere. And I get it. This is the 80s, and they don't really have that kind of technology. But his face should be plastered all over the, you know, most wanted posters. There should be bulletins, like, keep an eye out for this sketchy-looking dude. None of that. Literally none of that happens. That's the other, you know, plot hole. I'm going, what? How? Why? So, yeah, I'm with you. He should be really avoiding everything. He should be living in, like, North Dakota or, the like, the mountains of Italy where nobody's going to bother him. And just live his life of solitude and call it a day. I think so, too. I mean, unless he's genuinely, like I said, trying to find a way to access a lab and then carry on his research, try and reverse his condition. That's the only thing I can think of. Or, you know, like you said, be like Dexter, go to Colorado or something and hide up in the mountains. Like you were saying, nobody will bother you and just do your own thing, live off the land or what have you. I mean, I get because, I, you know, at first he like 
it, you know, finds that I think like an apartment, whatever, in the slums. And so he's happy kind of there. And he's doing this work, I guess, with these up with these other chaps. I guess it's what is like road repair and this kind of stuff, I suppose, is manual labor, I guess we can call it. You know, because obviously the guy has to pay the rent and what have you. But yeah, I, I was just because because I believe it, like in the Incredible Hulk Returns, he's still working on his on his research on trying to reverse the process and try and cure himself of being the Hulk. But here it's not like, oh, like you said, I'm looking for such and such a scientist. I know they have a super high tech laboratory in this particular city. So I might as well go here and try and, you know, get, get access to it somehow. But no, here it's very much like I'm just trying to live a calm life. I don't want to be bothered, be bothered by people. And that's pretty much his story. And then, of course, he encounters uh, Murdoch and and other and other things, of course, happen to him throughout the course of this. But by the end of the film, he's pretty much where he started. He's on the run again. So it's literally an hour and a half long episode of the TV show. I mean, it doesn't really give us anything extra. I mean, yes, he's met Matt Murdock. He has another friend like he befriended Thor in The Incredible Hulk Returns or The Return of the Incredible Hulk. But other than that, he hasn't really moved forward with oh you can see dr so-and-so in such and such a town that will help you out or i don't know or matt saying to him i have these contacts go talk to them we can figure it out somehow but no there is no change from the start of the film to the end of it when it comes to his personal journey as much as i enjoyed this film there's no growth if you will you know it's just uh it just it just blows my mind but anyway uh other than that i thought bill bixby was good as always did good as, as david and i i and i think he did a pretty, pretty decent job as directing this film too so um keith did you have anything else on on our leading man on the on david banner no i agree with you 100 i mean he is a very flat two-dimensional character you know i really wish you know on all these years on the run or even all these years, Bill Bixby playing Banner, he would have grown or changed or something, but it's very flat and basic. I I, I definitely agree. I will also add, Lou Ferrigno doesn't do any wrong because, you know, he plays the character the way he's supposed to play the character in the sense, you know, big, mean, green guy, you know, destroying people and throwing people around and just, you know, looking awesome as he always does and just flexing his muscles. So I think when it comes to the Hulk himself, he's cool. You know, heck, he saves uh, Daredevil's butt. He And, he, and he, he kind of also saves, I guess, Ellie Mendes's butt too. So he does what mm -hmm. he has to do. But uh, I mean, I, we know obviously this Hulk is not the smart Hulk we will get in the MCU. He's very much the big brawny guy that will literally beat people up. So I guess that's what you could say about Lou Ferrigno. He does what he's supposed to do at least. Did you? I don't know why, but at some point I started tracking the body count in the the episode to see how many people he kills as the Hulk, and he murdered like four people during this show. I just wow. it was one of those random things, like the the two the the guys that were fighting Daredevil in the um, the soundstage. He punches through giant speakers; they're dead. They got electrocuted. You know, the guy he threw through the train door, smashed into the wall. He should be dead, but you know, it, it's just funny. I don't know why it, I noticed it now more so as an adult than a little kid. But I'm like, he's murdering people. He's a he's a fugitive. He's a legitimately should be wanted by the law. Yes, the Incredible Hulk definitely. Uh, Definitely should be, uh, should, you know, it is definitely a wanted man. At least we say the Hulk, because we know that uh, David isn't responsible for what the Hulk does. But 
I very much agree. And I will also say this before we get to our next character. It's called the trial of the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> we don't yes. get a trial. <laughs> it's funny. I was th- I was literally thinking the same thing before we started recording. We get a dream sequence of a trial, which, you know, there's your um, Stan Lee cameo, by the way, for everybody who, you know, likes to keep track of that stuff. Yeah, the trial is the jurors, folks. If you if you missed him, he's amongst the jurors. He's a, he, one of the jurors. Yeah. He's juror number one, I believe, but he, and he's so young. It's funny if you don't realize it's him because you've only seen him as the MCU Stanley, he is much younger. The whole thing is just completely bonkers. That dream sequence, because the jury is just sitting here watching this dude go from, you know, bearded, whatever to Hulk and like no big deal, which PS, where does his beard go when he turns into the Hulk? Because I don't get that Good question. I know inquiring minds want to know. You know, that whole yeah. dream sequence is just crazy. I loved it. I, I did too. I did too. I mean, it was fantastic. But, you know, at the same time, it was just like, um, you know, we got it in the dream sequence. We didn't get the actual trial. And in the trial, everybody's just yelling at him. I'm right. Like, That's not how trials work. <laughs> yes. But, but yeah, I guess that's our trial of the Incredible Because I was look, actually looking forward to, are we going to have like a courtroom scene? Are people going to be mm-hmm. asking him questions? Is Matt Murdock going to be the guy defending him? Nope. It's got nothing. It's just a dream sequence. I'm like, whatever movie. That's <laughs> false advertising right there, Bill Bixby. But anyways, yeah, so that did make me laugh. So uh, I guess then, speaking of uh, courtrooms and juries, let's get to our second hero in this film. We have the introduction of another Marvel favorite, Mr. Rex Smith as Matt Murdock, Daredevil. So, uh, Keith, what did you make of this version of Daredevil? I appreciate who they got to play him. You know, Rex, I like him. I've seen him in a bunch of other shows. He was on a lot of TV shows at the time, so I, I was familiar with his character. The way they played him was very much a daredevil year one kind of daredevil for those of you who've seen like the netflix where he's running around in his little black you know spandex you know outfit before he gets his true daredevil uniform that's the daredevil we get in this you know movie slash you know extended tv show um i wish they did develop him a little bit more or do a better origin story because in the here you have him as a grown adult he's been blind for 15 or 20 years and then he takes up the mantle as daredevil where in the comic books the tv the other movies and other tv shows he's been training literally since he was you know 15 or 16 you know he is the blind batman of the mcu basically so i i think they did him a little bit of a disservice, but I get it. They only had 90 minutes. So they just wanted to like, Hey, we have this guy. He's special. Like, you know, quote unquote, special like banner, but he's not. Um, and he has his own little demons and crap. He's got to deal with. So for the limited amount of time, they had to really flush out his character. Um, they did a fairly good job. There were some, you know, cringeworthy moments such as, when they're fighting in the movie studio and it's him against three guys and you can clearly see them pulling punches because obviously it's a TV show, but he's supposed to be this big stoic character, you know, unbreakable, unshakable. He's the law. And meanwhile, two seconds later, you have banners character trying to, 
motivate him to get out of bed because he just got the crap stomped out of him. And he's, you know, trying to be the voice of reason and Jiminy Cricket, whatever, you know, whatever. And he's got to motivate Matt to pick himself back up again and put the suit on. And all he needs is just one pep talk from Banner. And all of a sudden he's like, all right, I'm Daredevil again. And we're off and running like no big deal. Yeah, I didn't remember that Daredevil had a healing factor. I will say that. But um, other than that, uh, I agree. This was actually, it, it was a decent version of Daredevil. I mean, I know that um, our mutual friend, Charles Skaggs, as much as he also enjoys this, he did take issue with the fact that they put him in the black costume and with the kind of, you know, the, the black blindfold. Because mm-hmm. apparently, I don't know, I mean, because, you know, I know that Charles is like you, he, he definitely knows his comics. And he said that apparently in the comics, that version of Daredevil had not appeared yet. Because apparently Frank Miller created that version later on down the line. So I guess, because that's why he was almost surprised that they didn't put him in, you know, the red spandex that, or even the yellow spandex, which we had with early Daredevil when um, Stan Lee was was writing and and, and drawing him. So he was a little bit surprised at that. I have to be honest, I I thought that the, should we say the blindfolded Daredevil in the black had already been out comic book wise, but I guess this then predated what Frank Miller did. I, I believe it did. I can't remember by how many years, but I, it did. I think we have to remember when this was made back, whatever year that was, um, you know, technology, you know, the filming, they probably would had problems with certain colors and setups and things that they had to kind of mute it down and do something basic. So I'm going to, that's, what I'm thinking, I don't know, you know, the exact rationale behind it. I mean, this came out in 1989, so technology wasn't the most advanced. The other thing is, you know, we had the yellow costume, we had the red in 89. Maybe they just didn't like the transition, you know, from comic to TV. That's the only thing I can think of. And they were like, ah, you know what, we'll just throw them in spandex because that somehow makes it so much better. I guess so, because as, like I said, uh, I believe that, um, you know, Frank Miller, you know, went on to do Daredevil later on compared to this or was would start or was maybe about to start writing and drawing him. So maybe I know there was some inside information or they just went with, like you said, something very basic of we get the guy is blind. So we're going to put, you know, a blindfold around him and just kind of dress him up almost like a ninja, if you will, more than give him the the red spandex, which everybody knows Daredevil from. And we have everything else. We have, of course, the Billy Club and what have you. So that worked. I did like the, the map, this kind of this map, because he is very much in character, very similar to the to early Matt Murdoch. And I think somewhat similar to also the way Charlie Cox plays him, as in he's very much the ladies man. We see him flirting with pretty much every other woman that crosses his path, even the one who's, who's working with them with him in his office. And here he's actually already an established lawyer. His name is already on the door. I mean, it's Murdoch and, and so on. So he very much has already established himself as a lawyer in the city. And, and I think he's also... I, I like the, should we say, the camaraderie that him and David have by the end of the day, that they very much become friends. It's another friend, if you will, that that uh, David can add to his list along with Donald Blake and Hulk and, and Thor, pardon me. So I, I did enjoy that. And yeah, I mean, I guess the origin story, we've got kind of little, like you said, little bits and pieces, because I believe he mentions that he, the, about his accident when he helped the old man cross the street. And that's when a, a truck drew by and, and splashed radiate, radioactive material into his eyes. And that's when he, he lost his sight. So I guess 
there is that, you know, obviously commonality between David and Matt of they're both a product of radiation, their powers are product of radiation. So I guess that brings them together. And I believe David actually tells Matt by the end of the film that he he's going to try and also look into seeing about possibly solving his problem and maybe seeing if he can reverse it. Though I guess he's though at the same time, he can't guarantee he'll give him back his sight. And I also, here's a, a question for you. Do you think this might've been a backdoor pilot for a daredevil TV show? Probably. It wouldn't surprise me that Marvel television was trying to flush out more of their characters. You know, first we had Thor, then we had daredevil and daredevil was probably the easier character to introduce into a tv show just because he's not you know superman or another character or spider-man where he's got to stick to walls or fly around or whatever he is the everyday man he is a guy who just happens to kick the crap out of people wearing black spandex um i it's probably what they were attempting to do and you know Everybody came to watch the whole. We didn't care that, oh, there's this other guy in here. You know, there's the daredevil. Like, okay, whatever. Who's daredevil? Nobody knows because, you know, he was popular with comic book readers, but not necessarily with everybody else. So I think it was just another failed attempt to have a spinoff. I think so too, because also seeing the fact that Kingpin gets away, it makes me wonder whether the fact of, he would have been made possibly a recurring villain if you can afford John Reese Davies. I mean, you know, he is John Reese Davies after all. So I don't know if they could have afforded him on, on the, you know, on a, on a constant basis, having him a recurring villain. But the fact that I think our bad guy got away and that uh, Matt tells uh, David that he will continue his work as Daredevil. And, you know, and obviously you keep an eye on the streets and everything else. And I suppose also the introduction of the, of the uh, character of uh, Deputy Chief Tendelli very much gives you an idea that this could have been a TV show, a, dare, a Daredevil TV show where Daredevil week in and week out, you know, fights crime and maybe also does some lawyering because he he does a little bit of lawyering, <laughs> but not that much. I mean, he is mainly visiting people in the hospital, like with Ellie, in Ellie's case, or he's giving some advice to David in prison. But that's pretty much all the lawyering he does, which I'm like, give us the trial scene. Show us that he not only is he a great fighter but he's also a top-notch lawyer and they don't do that they made it more as let's give the hulk somebody to help you know fight the kingpin but at the end of the day it's the hulk that saves daredevil which i guess was kind of kind of fun but yeah because i didn't they he's um he's at kingpin's mercy or wilson fisk's mercy because you know, they don't call him the kingpin but at the end of the day it's the hulk who saves everybody it's, it's yeah, like right. screw daredevil it's the hulk it's a hulk movie well, you know, I, I think a lot of that is, you know, that goes back to the, him not being a very developed character. You know, when we see him, you watch the Netflix, you watch, hell, even the Ben Affleck Daredevil. He is a much more polished fighter. This is just some guy who, you know, became a vigilante that happened to do some good occasionally. I, I Somebody had to eventually going to have to save him. I mean, hell, even the, the fight in the the studio, I don't know why they didn't bring knives or guns with them. They're like, we're going to get into a fist fight with the daredevil. Like, dude, you want to kill this guy? Guns, knives, explosions, literally anything. No, we're going to have three guys beat the crap out of him. It also had to do with the sniper rifle, blow his brains out. What are the same end result? That's This daredevil was a little almost too human or too 
um, average, if that makes any sense. He's not a step up from, you know, what we, what we've seen in a lot of the newer stuff. Oh yeah, this is true. That's why, as I said, he did remind me a little of Donald Blake from the, from the, the, the Incredible Hulk Returns or Return of the Incredible Hulk, where he is that kind of friend to, to, to David. Granted, uh, Donald Blake and David knew each other in that particular film. Here, it's, it's, it seems to be that kind of relationship again of while David is on the run from the law, he does have people who care about him. So I guess it's like, if ever you drop by in unnamed city, because I, <laughs> I believe whenever, whenever told whether it's New York, whether it's Hell's Kitchen or anything like that, it's like, if you ever drop by wherever this is, you're welcome to stick around and, uh, and you know, we can go up for a couple of beers or what have you. So uh, I, I, I liked what Rex did with the character, but like you said, um, there were some problems here and then the guy's a lawyer, let him do some lawyering, please. So I guess if there isn't anything else on our on, on Daredevil, let's get to our leading lady in inverted commas and another of our allies. We have Marta Dubois as Ellie Mendes and Joseph Mascolo as De De Deputy Chief Albert Tindelli. So what did you make of these two, Keith? I like the actors that played the characters, how they utilize the characters in the movie or TV show were or at best, you know, you had your police chief trying to clean up the streets and clearly never got anything accomplished while he's been in the force. But, you know, Ellie Mendez just happened to be an innocent bystander. And I've seen her in a lot of stuff up into that point. And she's a decent actress. You know, she does play a strong leading female very well. She does play the, you know, damsel in distress. Everybody plays a, a damsel in distress in some capacity. Um, but it's like you see her bits and pieces. She's this focal point to kind of get the story going. She gets, you know, she's in the hospital, gets assaulted, then somehow gets kidnapped because the police force is completely incompetent. Um, and then she's held hostage in Fisk's tower and is getting hit on by his head hench person, uh, Edgar. And she just kind of plays along with it a little bit. And she's, it's kind of like all over the map. So I don't know if they necessarily knew what they wanted to do with her, but they wanted to make sure she was in the episode, if that makes any sense. And that's the same thing with Tendelli. He pops up in the, you know, the jail, like, Hey, I'm here to, you know, help you out. Meanwhile, all people have ever known this um, Albert gentleman as he was on a soap opera at the time. I was at days of our lives or all my children or something like that. That's all I knew him as. I was like, Hey, isn't that that guy from that soap opera? And he, that's how he acted, like he was on a soap opera. It, it was very, I'm trying to, stiff. It was a very, he was, he didn't really own the part. It was just like, I'm here to read lines and I'm off. And that was kind of just, every time you saw him, he was like, you know, exposition, 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 and done. And you're like, okay, cool. Like when he gets out of his cop car and those kids ask him if the daredevil's dead. He's like, I don't know, kids. I didn't know how much time had passed. I literally thought it was the next day. Like, I just thought it was, you know, a day later after he got the crap stomped out of him. Apparently, it's been days, weeks, months. It could be a year. I don't know. But they don't really bring that up at all. I, it, it's true. I mean, you don't really get how you know the passing of time when it comes to this particular film. I will say, I'll start actually with, uh, with uh, Albert Tendelli. I actually think... They wanted possibly, I mean, obviously I, do, I wasn't in the writer's room at the time, so I don't know for sure, but 
I almost wonder whether they were trying to create a Gordon Batman relationship between Tendelli oh, and, and Matt Murdock. Because, you know, apparently Tendelli has a direct line to Matt and he, uh-huh. he, feed, he feeds him information. He gives him intelligence and all this kind of thing. So I'm, I have a feeling that they were very much trying to do the whole Batman Gordon thing which could have possibly been developed then had they gotten or if the plans were to have a full-blown Daredevil TV show where these guys would team up to fight crime because, you know, Tendelli seems to be one of the few, if only, clean cop in the city, and he has respect for what, for what Matt is doing. And I think that, and I did like that. I mean, I think that Joseph Maskell did a decent job with this character because I was enjoying him. And I also liked the way it was shot when he first meets David because it, it's almost like this a man from another world or standing <laughs> in the light and it's kind of like where are you going david kind of thing and he gives him his whole spiel in the in the prison that you know he lets him know that that the city is as crooked as it comes and he obviously wants to do the right thing kind of as almost be daredevil's man in the chair i guess when it comes to giving him information and helping him out and you know even showing up in bars and talking to turk and these kind of people so he's doing i think his darndest to make a difference so I, you know, being a big fan of a big, being a big fan of Batman, I did enjoy that Gordon Batman relationship that they had going on, and that's why I, that part of me is curious and wouldn't have minded maybe seeing, you know, even a pilot episode of a Daredevil TV show, seeing more of these guys. So I enjoyed it. I feel very bad for Marta Dubois who played Ellie Mendes because she could have had a lot more going for her. I get it; it's the eighties, so. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, female female characters and actresses weren't given, you know, that much. They were supposed to kind of look pretty, be the damsel in distress and kind of get things rolling. Because I guess the first time we see David transform from uh, from from normal form to Hulk is because she's being hit on by a couple of, uh, of, uh, of Fisk's goons. And that's where the whole thing starts. Then she ends up in hospital. Then she gets kidnapped. And I agree when she disappears from the hospital, I'm like. How the hell did that happen? (laughs) Did random people just walk up saying, oh, we're her aunt and uncle. We're taking her home. I mean, I I guess we're supposed to assume that Fisk literally holds the city in his hands. So he owns everything. So he can just have people whisked in and out of hospitals at his beck and call. I mean, we do see that he has apparently a murderous nurse amongst his, shall we say, cronies. So I guess that's what we're supposed to understand from that. And then obviously uh, the whole thing. Go ahead. No, I guess I'm with you. I, I don't that that scene in the hospital where she's supposed to be under like armed guard and she just disappears. And there's literally like 60 people 10 feet away from her. And nobody sees any of this. <laughs> I know that was very weird. And then the character kind of peters out towards the end because once she then becomes, you know, she's become she's been kidnapped, and we have we see Edgar kind of trying to turn a new leaf and trying to help her out. We don't really see much more of her. It would have been nice, I don't know, even a little moment with Matt towards the end of the film or even with David or something like that. But we don't really get much about from her other than she's a damsel in distress and she's the reason why our heroes storm the castle, if you will, to, to take on Wilson Fisk. So I felt I felt bad for, for Marta Dubois. I think she could, she could have been given a little bit more and this character could have been written a little bit better and just get, we could have had a little bit more. I guess I know it's 90 minutes long, but still she could have been more than just help me, help me, help me. I'm good looking. Help me, help me, help me. You know, so, <laughs> so 
I felt bad. I felt bad for her because she's pretty much the only female character we have here aside from the murderous nurse. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I guess, as I said, it's maybe just a uh, a product of its time of being the late 80s. So where it was good looking w- women tended to not be dynamic characters and tend to be more, you know, somebody for our heroes to save. Yes, exactly. That's it was a unfortunate stereotype of the time. Mm, I, I guess so. So did you have anything else on the Tindeli or Elimendes before we get to our main villain, Keith? No, I, I think, you know, between you and I, we kind of cover all of our bases. All righty then. So I guess then let's get to our big bad of this film. We have, of course, a certain John Rhys Davies, of all people, as Wilson Fisk. So uh, what did you make of having somebody like John Rhys Davies playing this character, Keith? Uh, it, it it brought back so many memories and emotions because it's funny to watch it now as an adult after you've watched The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and you see him as a dwarf running around with an axe, yelling at everybody. Every time I see him on screen, I just that pops into my head. Him, you know, bashing goblin skulls in, and you know, I remember him from the TV show Sliders where he was the professor. So, so knowing what he's done after this, and to go and back Indiana and watch Jones, this, of course, as well. Well, true. I, I didn't think about Indiana Jones. Yeah, Indiana Jones, you know, add all those movies to this and then go back and watch this one. And you're like, this is, I'm not going to say it's bad, but it's just, it's so funny to watch him at this point in his career. And you just like, the Wilson Fisk character was just so weird compared to what you've read of him in the comic books. You've seen him in literally every other movie or TV show. You know, he is supposed to be this menacing guy. He is supposed to have this presence where in this one, he just seemed like some eccentric guy. You know, yes, he's supposed to be, quote unquote, the kingpin, but he wore sunglasses the entire movie. I don't know why he wore sunglasses, but he wore it the entire time. Every time you saw him, he had all these cameras. He had thousands of them. So he was very big brother on everybody and he seemed a little bit disconnected from reality like very slightly you know when he's sitting there talking to some of the other guys he's like oh you need to sleep on this and blah 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 i'm like what i don't know if i should be afraid or concerned for your you know your mental health so he was kind of all over the map you know in terms of how he presented the character was it a fun watch? A hundred percent. He cracked me up every time I saw him. I, just, I couldn't take him seriously with the sunglasses or the big Bluetooth or wireless headphones that he had on. You know, again, I couldn't, I couldn't take it seriously at all. And I get it. It's a product of the late 80s. So they worked with the, what they had available. But, you know, there's one scene where he's talking to one of his guys, um, was it Edgar? And he's like, okay, record everything. And it's a VHS camera, not any of the cameras from the movie studio that they're literally in. No, no. It's what they bought at Radio Shack or whatever your electronic store is in that city. It was very like, what? So it, it, it was fun to watch. I, I love him. He's a great actor. This was just definitely not one of his more um, shining moments, shall we say, but you know, he, like you said, if there was a series, I would expect there'd be more development. You know, you could see him change, become more of the menacing 
kingpin, as it were, that you and I are used to seeing from the TV shows or even reading in the comic books. Because again, it's he's supposed to have a presence. Like you're supposed to be afraid of him. Like Black Mask in the DC universe. You see Black, you go into a room with Black Mask, 50-50, you're coming out alive. Here, this is one of those, like, I don't know if he's going to offer me candy or kill me. Like, I just, I don't know where we're going with this one. No, I, I definitely see what you're saying. I mean, I felt he very much elevated the movie because be, yes. being John Reese davies he kind of reminded me, and I was actually uh, talking about this with uh, with Charles the other day. Um, he reminded me, he kind of did to me, for me, what um, Idris Elba did with the um, with, with with a couple of films that he's been in, which have been pretty bad. You know, I think of um, yeah, what yes. Idris Elba did in Ghost Rider 2, Spirit of Vengeance, which was a yes, god-awful 100%. movie. Yes, but, it was. But Idris Elba elevated it because he's Idris Elba. And I think Correct. John Reese davies elevated this film because he's John Reese davies And what I, I, what I did like here... And once again, this is me trying to um, interpret what uh, Gerald D. Pegel was was doing when he wrote this. Is almost like he wanted to create this contrast between the fact that Daredevil can't see and Wilson Fisk sees all. So it maybe could be that contrast of mm-hmm. Daredevil's blind, if you will, and Will and Wilson Fisk has eyes everywhere. So maybe they wanted to do that more than anything else. And I guess he does. He could come across, I suppose, as more of a I guess, cut and dry kind of mobster and mob villain who doesn't get his hands dirty. I mean, we've seen in the comics, and this was before even Vincent D'Onofrio played this character, that, or even Clark Duncan played this character, that he, he knows how to fight as well. But here, I think they want to make him more of the mob boss of, I've got people who take care of messes for me. So I'm not going to sully my hands with somebody else's blood. I'll let somebody else do it for me. So I guess that's what his, his deal is. And um, once again, I'm also trying to figure out what his end game is as well, because he pretty much seems to already control the city. So I'm trying to understand what exactly else he wants. I mean, I guess he's just trying to get rid of Daredevil. That's become his reason to live and just prove to the other families that he's the one who who will do it and who will accomplish it. And that's why he sends them the, the does the whole video thing and invites them over and pours diamonds into their champagne glasses and stuff. So I guess he's either trying... I, and he's been trying to interpret all this. He's either trying to take over also the crime family saying, I did this. What have you done lately? And I'm the one who should lead all the families. And, but then, I mean, I guess, is that it? Is it just a power grab? Is he trying to expand his power? Is that, is that what you think he's doing? I, that's, I, I'm going to go with that as well, because there's no real, he doesn't have like a big exposition. Like he doesn't go on this big monologue. Like I've brought you all together for, because I want to unite us to take over the United States or the world or whatever. Like, no, he just literally invites like 20 of his buddies over to watch his home video of the daredevil getting the crap stomped out of them. And Oh yeah, here are some diamonds, by the way. So I, I don't know if there was, they thought that far down the line, you know, did they want him to take over all the families? Like he wanted to be the, like the legitimate kingpin of all the families opposed to the kingpin of his city. Or did they, he was just flexing on everybody and be like, you know, follow me or else there was no, any of that. Like, I just, I don't think they thought that two moves ahead. Like you usually see in a lot of movies, like there's a setup where, Oh, this is why they've done this here. This was more of like a, means to justify the ends kind of scenario like they needed some way to 
bring Daredevil back and all this other stuff. So I, I think they were just they wanted to make it flashy. I suppose that's what they wanted to do because you know we we see him rather than kind of do I guess mobster things like I don't know go around and ask for protection money or own banks or this kind of thing. He is literally a criminal living in the in this in this high rise building and he's literally directing his goons to steal diamonds. So I guess that's what he does these days is he's literally telling them, go and hit and hit this bank, go and hit this, go and that, and then just bring it all home. And that's how I amass my money. Cause you, cause you know, from what I've gathered, you know, in the reading the comics and the character of Wilson Fisk, otherwhere uh, or elsewhere is the fact that he is rich because he had, he's very much like a, um, an octopus. He has tentacles in all kinds mm-hmm. of businesses as most mobsters do, be mm-hmm. it casinos, be it prostitution, be it drugs or what have you. But here he's literally just instructing people to go and steal stuff for him. So it, it was, it was odd. It was an odd kind of mobster, at least to me. No, I, I agree with you in the comics. Heck, he was mayor of New York City in the comics there for a while. I don't know if he still is. I haven't read Daredevil in a while. But, you know, there was a better explanation as to how we got to this point. Here, like you said, it's just he's a smashing grab guy who happens to live in a tower um, and controls a lot of stuff. But we don't know how we got here you know, or why he's doing what he's doing. There's no motivations or no nothing. There's no grand scheme of things if anything he kind of reminds me of like he's got agoraphobia because he doesn't leave his castle he just watches everything through a video camera so just that weird like he has some anxiety of the outside world or you know he wants to survey his domain i don't know it was a very interesting take on a mobster this was a definitely one of those i'm gonna write a part and happen to slap a name on it from the comic book as opposed to i'm gonna research how this character would theoretically be in the world you know if he's modeled after you know a mob boss from new york or new jersey or you know any of the big cities this is what they would do this is how they would act and so on and so forth like you know in sopranos like that kind of a mobster he's none of that he's literally just some wackadoo dude who happens to like the name you know and he doesn't even use the name kingpin he just he happens to make that one liner at some point yeah, because I'm trying to also figure out what the front is for his legitimate business and why the cops haven't come after him. I mean, I guess I'll grant it, okay, he's he's bought the, the the police and so on, but what is the front? I mean, is he a film producer? What what is what is his angle? Because you know, most of these mobsters once again have some kind of front to make them look like legitimate businessmen. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that he is possibly comes across being a film producer and a businessman. It's just like, oh, he just happens to be big business. And we know that he's got weird stuff going on, but we're not going to go after him because, you know, he's he's literally you know sending us money and paying us through the nose and has so many <laughs> so many people in the palm of his hand. But you'd think that he'd have some kind of open front, like I said, like, you know, mm-hmm. Fisk Records or right. Fisk <laughs> Or Fisk Productions, because he does look like a cross between, you know, a film producer or a record producer. So it's uh, it's that kind of thing of, I guess it's just like we hate big, me, the writer, you know, DePego was saying, we hate big business. So we're just going to make big business look awful and creepy and evil. And that's just what it is. You know, it's, he's not going to have any kind of legitimate business. So I, I'm like, oh, okay. He does remind me of a certain um, ex-politician, I will say. 
that, you know, back in the day, nobody knew where any of the money was coming from and name was slapped on everything that moved practically. And the guy, you know, just, you know, was, oh, he is this empire, but you don't know what they do. So I, I think that might have been a possible um, inspiration for the part. You know, some people just, they sell their name and that's what they they live off of, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I, I, though I will, however, say I really love what John Reese davies did with this character. I mean, 100%. I, I, I love his voice. I love his presence. I just wish the character were li- written a little better and that they gave John more to work with because he's very much acting his tail off here. I mean, he's not phoning it in. He's doing a great job with just the way he's, he's literally devouring every line as cheesy as it is, but makes it work. And I also love the fact that he knows Daredevil's weaknesses. How the heck did he know that? I mean, like, I guess he assumed that Daredevil was blind because of the fact that he has a um a thing wrapped around his uh, his face, and so that he is um and so you can use you know high pitched sounds and vibrations to bring him to his knees. But once again, that's kind of not explained. How the hell Wilson Fisk knew this? But I guess he's a criminal genius, and he's got intel somewhere. It says, oh, did you know that, by the way, Daredevil is blind, and if you play loud noises, <laughs> he will die. So I don't know. I guess it just is maybe to play the fact that the guy just is clever that way. So I'm like, all right, okay, well, I guess so. I think I'm going to go with the, the banner response is he, he wasn't sure, and he just threw everything at him. Because if you notice, he threw the bright lights at him, and that didn't seem to slow him down. So they did this other thing, and that didn't slow him down. And then suddenly, like, all right, we're going to turn that loud noise on. And that slowed him down. So I, I think it was kind of the process of elimination. And, you know, when Banner said, oh, it would stop anybody, yet the Hulk didn't flinch at the loud noise. Like, he, it irritated him a little bit and made him angrier, but it didn't slow the Hulk down. And, yes, we can say it's because it's the Hulk, but I, I think I, I will actually give this one to Banner's explanation a little bit that see what happens. The one funny thing I, I just I don't know if you notice this in every scene he was in, he was above everybody else. He was always looking down on everyone. He mm-hmm. was sitting in his like his throne, or he was on you know some elevation above everybody, always looking down. Because I guess you know he doesn't necessarily may have the height advantage. So I think that was kind of a fun little nod to the part too. Is you know he thinks he's above everybody. He's at the top of his tower. He's in you know whatever the hell he's sitting on someplace high above everybody else. And, you know, he's never eye level. He's always above everything. Yeah. And of course, being, I guess, above everything, he's able to make a clean break and escape because, you know, exactly. he just kind of fly, flies off to wherever. And so, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I mean, I guess I'm happy because uh, I, I spoke, well, I guess happy. There's no point in being happy now because I'm never going to make a, a spinoff of this one. But I guess I'm happy because you know, he kind of got away. So like, oh, you know, he's such a genius. He's able to escape justice once again. And that's why my thought might have been, my thought process went off. This might have been a TV show. But I, I, I don't know, like I said before, if they could afford John Reese davies on a regular no. basis to do a Daredevil TV show, if John would ever have been interested in doing one. I don't think at this point in his career, no, they could never afford him ever again. But at the time when this came out, 100%. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, it was cool. And like I said, I think he very much was um, was, was, was one of the better parts of this uh, of this particular movie. So, Keith, did you have anything else to add when it came to the Trial the tri- of the Incredible Hulk before we get to ratings? No, I, I, think, I think you and I have torn this one apart like usual. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. I will just add saying that um, I, I do enjoy this. I did. Oh, I, did what, I did. I did have a smile on my face. I wasn't frustrated with it. I was like, oh my God, here's another st- steaming pile of garbage to review. No, I really enjoyed it and I was happy with it. And I, I missed this. I mean, when I, I was, I was watching, I'm like, oh, 80s TV. I missed you. <laughs> so so that, was, that was fun. I agree with you hundred percent. This was, I, I had a big dopey grin ear to ear. It is cheese beyond any stretch of the imagination. I don't care what low budget B movie you put up against it. There's just no comparison to eighties TV show, Knight Rider, Airwolf, a team, any of that stuff, incredible Hulk, all of those TV shows. You just, you can't, put it into words how much fun it is to watch especially as an adult because now you see all the flaws more so than when you were a little kid when you're a little kid you're like wow a talking car now as an adult you're like wonder where the hell he gets gas for that thing you know there's different you know different philosophies you know as you grow up is just how you're looking at this stuff but i loved it i love every minute of it you know i like the hulk and thor when they match up because again it was Oh, it's the green troll or the goblin. And you're like, oh, this is amazing. This is cheesy, but it's amazing. I very much agree. And also, you know, I I guess this was our MCU growing up, you know, before, you know, 2008 rolled around and Iron Man reached the theaters. This was the MCU for kids like you and I growing up. You know, these were our heroes. So I suppose, you know, that's why they mean so much to us to this day. And so why, you know, I guess we, 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 I think in this case, we can say that we kids because we care because, you know, these, they did play a big, at least I could speak for myself saying that this TV show, had it played a big role in my life being a huge superhero fan and it was one of the few decent things that were on at the time before we then got other ones like you know the flash tv show with um john wesley ship and another kind of another kind of show so it meant we were literally i think gripping onto this for dear life because we didn't have our comic book heroes on the screen for the longest time i mean aside from batman which came out in 89 and obviously the Superman movies, we hadn't really had anybody else aside from Superman and Batman. So, and this was, I think, one of the few things that Marvel actually did. So it was really cool and we really loved it. So, and you have to, I have to also mention this and I do end up mentioning this every time that this, this, uh, this kind of Hulk shows up. The Harnell piece, The Lonely Man, is still one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written, at least in my opinion. I love, I love that, that, uh, that end score so much. So uh, I will give it that. The fact that they use it even to this day, hell, you can watch Family Guy. Stu has used it a couple of times when he's walked off, which automatically, every time I hear it, I think of the Incredible Hulk TV show. It is one of those songs or theme musics that is just etched in my brain it's always bill bixby it's always going to be him walking off into the sunset to somewhere else yeah it and it's uh, it's so iconic i think it's and uh, i love the fact that in both hulk movies though they didn't do particularly well they used it in both and i thought that was mm-hmm. that was lovely not to mention of course uh, luferino made an appearance uh, i i made a cameo in both of those so that was cool too and of course i did love the the stanley cameo here here as well i was like wait a minute is that Stan Lee? Yes, mm-hmm. it is. That was because as a kid, I didn't realize. But no, this time, I was like, but, and I was like, wow, Stan was already doing cameos before it was cool. <laughs> before now, I've, I've got to go MC back. Stuff. I've yeah. got to go back and look at all like the Captain America. The I don't know if he was necessarily in the Doctor Strange movie. 
No, I don't think so. Go back and watch the Spider-Man and Captain America and see if he's in all of those. Cause now I'm just curious. I mean, I guess I could just look at his IMDB page, but it's too much fun. I just, you know, play spot the stand. I love that spot the stand. I love that. Yes. Yeah, so he was doing this way before 2008. So I love that he did that here too. So I guess then let's get to ratings. Then Keith, what do you give this film out of 10? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go high just because of the, the music and, you know, the soundtrack, like we always talk about, you like to not the soundtrack, the music, and just how much of an impact it had as when I was a kid, I'm going to go a little higher. You know, I'm probably going to give it a seven. It's not the greatest movie to watch. I will admit to that a hundred percent, but for nostalgia and, you know, reminding me of all the, you know, when I was a kid and just everything about it, it's, it's left a dent in me, unfortunately. So I'm going to, I'm going to go high and I'm going to give it a seven. Well, it looks like we're pretty much in sync because I'm going to give it seven and a half because I really enjoyed it. And like you said, it was a trip down memory lane. And and you have to also, I guess, be thankful to these kind of movies if we have stuff like the MCU today, like we have the Iron Man movie and so on, because... You know, this is these were the building blocks, and you know, mm-hmm. obviously, it was early days. So I'm incredibly grateful to the folks who who made the Incredible Hulk TV show and gave that to us, you know, nerdy kids growing up. So I, uh, I it's seven and a half out of ten for me. I will rewatch it uh, on occasion for sure. And I'm actually looking out there. I was as I finished watching this, I was actually on on internet looking for. Um, seeing if they had a collection of the TV movies of The Incredible Hulk, because now I want to own this on Blu-ray or on DVD. <laughs> so, this is so much fun. So I, I definitely want to see if I can get my uh, my hot little hands on, on, a, on a Blu-ray of either this movie or the collection of the Hulk movies. I believe they are around. So uh, so I will uh, I will see what I can, if I can find them. But yeah. I, so I don't know. Uh, I think they might be, they might be one of those, you got to get off of Amazon. I have never seen the, the DVD or Blu-ray, but to be fair, I've never looked for them. So mm. it'd be interesting. You'll have to let me know. Yeah. I think they might have one of you know, those box sets, I believe, because I'd, I'd found the box set of the flash TV show, the John Wesley ship one, yes. which obviously I was, a, was, it's a great show, isn't it? Oh, I, I love, love it. That. I love it so much. Mark Hamill's on it. He played the trickster, AKA the Joker. He was Joker before the Joker, but nobody knows that. Yeah, I mean, it was such a great, uh, a great TV show. I, I, that's why I kind of put the Flash from the '90s with, uh, with the Incredible Hulk from the '80s. So, I guess then, um, getting to recommendations, Keith, is there anything you would like to recommend to our listeners who uh, might have enjoyed this and would like more? Uh, I'm going to have a list. It's unfortunate, but I, I have many, many recommendations for this one. So, if you like this one, I, and it's going to be weird, but I'm going to recommend the Ed Norton Incredible Hulk movie because it was done very much in the same vein where he's trying to avoid, but at the same time, solve his problems. Lou Ferrigno's in it. They make several references. Hell, they have Bill Bixby, uh, one of his TV shows on in the hotel room. So they, they make reference to the original TV show. Uh, if you want something more in the, the campy Incredible Hulk I would recommend the old Wonder Woman TV show, Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman. I mean, I could go on and on. If you know, I heck, I would even throw in She-Hulk, the TV show. They make reference to, you know, the Incredible Hulk on the last episode. That the entire opening for the last episode of the She-Hulk spoilers is a callback to the original Bill Bixby's Incredible Hulk. They have the music, they have the whole experiment, the whole nine yards. So there's just so many shows you could watch. Heck, Daredevil, 
the MCU current Daredevil that was Netflix, I would watch that too. Wow. Well, uh, I'm, I definitely agree with those recommendations indeed. And I will also add, folks, I believe that out there you can actually watch the original in- Incredible Hulk TV show. So it is out there somewhere. Somewhere, so, yes. Uh, Yes. So, so I guess uh, I guess you, you definitely check that out for sure. And uh, I mean, those are some very, very strong uh, references for sure. There recommendations there, Keith. I will also add, if you want to you know, check out the comics, I think maybe the closest to this might be what Peter David did with the character, at least when it comes to um, Banner being on the run and being mm-hmm. kind of a lonely man and what have you. And, and Peter David did a fabulous, fabulous job writing The Incredible Hulk. He's actually my all-time favorite Incredible Hulk writer. And uh, he really got me into the character. Because after I watched this, I remember even way back when I was reading Peter David comics. So uh, it's it's fabulous. So I will say, folks, if you want like a compendium to couple with this, definitely check out anything that Peter David has written when it comes to The Incredible Hulk, because as I said, he's a, he, he definitely has a very special place in my heart when it comes to writing Hulk. So I guess then, dear listeners, if that is our movie, and if you'd like to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, or you'd like to take the plunge and join us as a guest, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to follow to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness, or follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod. And Keith, when you're not here discussing uh, Incredible Hulk from the 80s and reminiscing <laughs> with me where could folks find you on the interwebs and hit you up uh they can find me on facebook you know i'm always creeping around our facebook page you can also find me at keith bliss uh facebook.com i have i'm in north carolina so if you look me up and you find there's about 50 of us i'm the guy in north carolina Fantastic. So you you definitely know which is the Keith Bliss you want to talk to. And of course, uh, when it comes to me, folks, you can find me uh, hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. More info about that and where to tune in, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also find myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We're reviewing all the Best Picture winners in chronological order. And uh, lastly, if you are fans of Titans and or Doom Patrol, you can find myself and Charles Skaggs currently on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we wrapped up the first six episodes of season four of Titans and are now reviewing the current season four of Doom Patrol. And uh, speaking of things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 2016 Sam Liu film, Batman, The Killing Joke, which will see us out for 2022. So, uh, Keith, as always, a joy podcasting with you. I had a great time reviewing this one. So, uh, any uh, thoughts on our next movie before we sign off? I'm very on the fence about it. I appreciated the graphic novel, the comic book when it came out. They did a very good job with this, but I, I, I have my reservations and everybody's gonna have to listen to next week's episode to find out what those are but yeah i'm i'm looking forward to discussing this one. Oh, me too uh, as i meant i'm right there with you the alan moore graphic novel is another of those that's very dear to my heart so i was very excited when this comp- when came out well my thoughts are as keith says you'll have to tune in next time to find out so uh, dear listeners of course thanks as always for this show and supporting us we will see you next time with batman the killing joke until then stay super Ciao, my people.